0: I invite you now to take a Bible and to open it to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. And we're going to read the end of Matthew, chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. As a church family, we've been going through this Gospel and looking at what in particular it says about prayer and the the access that we have to our Heavenly Father through prayer because of what Jesus has done, the examples that he has set for us in prayer and the things he prayed for, but also the the things that he teaches us about what our prayer should consist of. And uh, we had been in the Sermon on the Mount the last few Sundays, and now we're skipping ahead a few chapters to the end of chapter nine, beginning in verse 35. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And that concludes our reading. If you want to keep your Bible open, we'll uh, look back at a little bit earlier of a section in chapter 9. But here we have another clear instruction from Jesus on prayer that we are to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And before he gave us that specific prayer, he told us a truth that the harvest is plentiful. And so it's good for us to ask the question, well, what kind of harvest is Jesus talking about? He's saying it's plentiful. Um, What is he referring to? He's not referring literally to a crop that needs to go and uh, all the disciples need to go uh, work and bring the grain in. He's using it uh, to describe another reality And had you been uh, reading along in Matthew's gospel from the end of the Sermon on the Mount until this portion here at the end of chapter nine, uh, you'll have seen that so many people were coming to Jesus with a variety of ailments and sicknesses, with a variety of needs and weaknesses. Um, Loved ones who were hurting, they themselves who were hurting or diseased. And uh, Jesus, miraculously was able to treat and care for so many of them and as he healed people then more people were brought to him and the crowds around him started to grow as the word was getting out that this Jesus is able in the bringing of his new kingdom here on earth he is able to help hurting people but the hurt that exists and the brokenness that exists around him is huge it's pervasive he says it's plentiful. If you open your eyes to see it, there is so much hurt and pain around us, which is what scripture teaches from the very, very beginning, that once uh, our world fell because of sin, there was a brokenness in this world that we all experience, that we're in fact born into. And there are times where we in our specific choices Uh, might commit sin and make things more difficult but there's also a reality that even if we don't decide to do something bad or commit a particular sin that we now live in a world where there are needs upon needs where there are difficulties and tragedies that surround each and every one of us and this is what he means when he says the harvest is plentiful He's not just talking about people's spiritual need to be restored to God. That is part of the announcement that he's bringing his kingdom to establish a right relationship back to the Father. But with that spiritual need also comes a physical need, emotional need, and social needs. Sin has affected all those areas of our lives. And so some of the people that he healed had a disease that then kept them isolated from ever interacting with other people. And so in Jesus healing them, he was able to restore them to community and to fellowship with other people. The reality of death and how it affects each and every one of us is some of what people were struggling with. And they came and asked Jesus, please, would you heal my servant who's about to die? And so When Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, he's actually talking about all four of those things that we are surrounded by, physical, emotional, social, and spiritual needs that we have. And it doesn't take much, even 2,000 years later, to say I think that's still true. When I look around in the world and what people go through on a regular basis, the harvest is still plentiful those needs still exist all around us. Now some people will make us try to pick between one or the other and they'll say well what we really need to address are people's physical needs and we don't really need to worry about their spiritual needs or what they think. And others will say well no we need to just focus on their spiritual needs and who cares what they need physically. Uh, But that's a uh, a division that Scripture doesn't require us to take. It, it uh, the harvest is plentiful enough that if we're open to it, we could actually be used by God to address all of these areas of needs. Because God has made us as whole people, He wants us to care about every part of our lives. As these parents have dedicated themselves and their children to the Lord, we would implore them to say that you have the responsibility to take care of your children physically and emotionally, and socially, and spiritually. Neglecting any one of those would be uh, only done to their harm. To say, well, I don't care about my kids' emotions, or I don't care if their physical needs are getting met. you, You would immediately hear that and say, no, no, no. If you love them, you care about everything that affects them. And if God has made us with bodies and souls, then we care about everything that affects our bodies and our souls. And he's created us to be relational beings. And so he cares about the relationships that we have with one another. These are all the things that Jesus is seeing and what he means when he says, the harvest is plentiful. And so our passage said again, that as he was going about teaching in the synagogue, healing every disease and every affliction, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This is the condition of us simply in our humanity. We're needy, we're weak, we're limited. And it's okay to admit that, to acknowledge that we need help from other places. And we need all kinds of help because the harvest is so plentiful. In two weeks, I'll be traveling again to Serbia uh, to teach at the Baptist school and I'm looking forward to going there and as partly now thinking about packing things and getting ready to go, I was reminded of a story uh, from one of my first students there. It's been about eight years now that I've been going to teach and one of my first students uh, after one of the trips that I was there encountered a tragedy in his life. His father had passed away And he was grieving the fact that his father had passed away, but in addition to grieving that, he was also grieving the fact that he had no physical means to pay for a funeral to bury his father. And uh, it was a challenge and he came to the head of the school and was just telling him both about the loss of his father and also his inability to pay for it in any way and the, the head of the school was just praying with him and grieving with him about the hard situation that he was going through. And as a student looked through the library, somebody had donated a book uh, to the library and it was called The Hardest Sermons You'll Ever Preach. And it was a collection of sermons for a variety of pastors who submitted their sermon from some of the most difficult situations they'd ever encountered. And so he grabbed it because he knew that he was gonna be responsible to conduct his own father's funeral. And so he thought, I'm just going to grab it and consult it and, and see from the example of another what they said when they were faced with the situation. When he took the book and then he opened it up, he found that there were several hundred dollars that had been placed in there. That a different missionary who had gone there on a trip had the forethought to say, if somebody ever pulls this book off the shelf and they're looking to it for advice, I bet you they're going through a really hard thing. And not just emotionally and relationally, but there's probably even going to be physical needs that come with whatever it is they're going through that's inviting them to pull this book down from the shelf. And there it was, enough money for him to give a proper burial to his father. And to think of that person who had enough foresight to say, I don't know what the exact situation will be, but I just know this is the world we live in. There the needs are all around us. The harvest is plentiful and so Jesus invites all of us to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. And there's there's two things that we want to keep in mind as he says this to to pray earnestly, passionately, seriously, not just flippantly or casually or Uh, as minimally as possible as sometimes our kids might pray as fast as they can just to get to the food and, you know, check it off that they've done it or something. Uh, This is Jesus saying with, with the level of challenge that people are going through, pray earnestly for them. Give it time and attention. But Jesus also doesn't want his disciples to despair over the harvest that is around them. And so in this, he's reminding them to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. That even though there are all these needs around us, there isn't one minute where our God is not on his throne. Where he doesn't know ahead of time what we're going to go through that we don't yet know we're going to face. Because many times we are challenged to wonder and think like, God, are you, are you still there? Are we in this mess because you're off doing something else and you weren't paying attention? And Jesus is saying, listen, the needs are so vast around us and the harvest is plentiful. But trust and believe that he is the Lord over the harvest. He knows about all of those needs and he cares about them so that when we're praying earnestly to him, we're not trying to get him to do something, he doesn't want to do and he has to be talked into it no no this is what he wants to do he was filled with compassion for the crowds he wanted to reach out to them and if your bible is still open uh, this this is the very reason he came earlier in chapter 9 when he calls Matthew to be his disciple in verse 9 this is what we learn in Jesus own description of why he came Uh, chapter 9, verse 9. It says, And Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he, Jesus, heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So there Jesus is saying that the whole reason he came is because as he looked upon the world and saw how plentiful the harvest was and how great the needs were, he wanted to do something about it. He wanted to address it. He wanted to come and to bring hope and healing for each and every one of us. And he has compassion on the crowds. He cares about whatever it is that we might be going through. And so all the more our prayers to him should have the earnestness of addressing the one who loves us so much that there's not a detail about our lives that he doesn't care about. There's not a hurt that he's unaware of, and we can bring it to him purposely and intentionally. And so we pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, but he also clarifies what we're praying to him is that he would send out more laborers. So we're praying to him, we believe he's in charge, he cares, but we're praying that He would send out laborers, that He would use us to help with the physical and the emotional and the social and the spiritual needs of the people around us. And then we see Him do exactly uh, that in the very next chapter. Chapter 10 opens up by Jesus taking the apostles and saying, I want you guys to go two by two and go into different towns, and I'm going to empower you that you're going to join me in this work. You're going to join me in having compassion for other people. You're going to join me in caring for them. And that's such a mystery. How does God use us who are part of the harvest? We're the very people who are hurting and weak, and and we need his compassion that he very quickly is willing to use us to extend his compassion and his kindness to other people. He's not asking us to get it all together or to be perfect ourselves. He wants to use us uh, quickly if we make ourselves available to him to come alongside because the harvest is that plentiful. And so to pray this prayer is not only to take into mind how serious the needs are around us but it's also to have our hands open to God and say, what do you want me to do about it? But there's more than enough work for all of us to be involved. There's more than enough work for all of us to be engaged. And so when we think not only what kind of harvest is this, but what kind of labor does he want from us, we need the whole church engaged during the whole week in accomplishing this task. Jesus, this is not a plea to get a few people to consider becoming pastors or missionaries this is hey the harvest is so plentiful there's so much work out there we need everyone who's following jesus to be available to him in whatever season of life they've been called if they're younger if they're retired if they're in school or sitting behind a cubicle on a Monday, wherever God has you, you can be involved in the labor that is here. Because wherever you go, if it's in your neighborhood, or in the office, or at a social club, the harvest is plentiful right there. There's no perfect neighborhood. There's no perfect workplace. There's no perfect home or marriage. or. There's work everywhere for all of us to do if we're willing to be part of the laborers that are sent out by him to do what he's called us to do. And when we look at the things that ail our country, there again, there's more than enough work for all of us to be engaged. We might have different areas of passion and different skills for how to address it, But if we're gonna take seriously this prayer and to offer it up earnestly before God, I do think one of the outworkings of praying this prayer is that we would be able to bless God for the variety of work that's done. And say, God, at times we are praying, will you heal a specific person who we love and care for who's battling cancer? And that's an appropriate and right prayer. And we can also pray, God, would you help all those who've given their life to research so that we can find better remedies to ultimately heal people from cancer. Would you bless them too? God, would you help our public school teachers who are caring for young ones and trying to help them learn how to read and write? And God, would you also use whatever social services are available to come alongside families who are hurting, who do not have the blessing of community that we might be experiencing? We don't have to pick which one's more important. There's enough work for all of us to do. We can only do so much of it, but we can have a kindness and a generosity towards others who are engaged to say, hey, if you're not against us, you're for us, you're, you're with us. Please be fully engaged in whatever God has called you to do. It's sad when even churches and Christian organizations can have a kind of competitiveness about them. Listen, Lakeside Christian Church is one small piece of a puzzle in a grand kingdom that God is doing to ultimately fight against the kingdom of darkness. And so we pray God bless us and every other church that names his name. And every other ministry, whether they're doing college ministry or sports ministry or uh, however they're choosing to engage the harvest that's around us. We don't need to speak ill of any else who's following the Lord and answering the prayer that they're praying to send out more laborers into the harvest. We can celebrate all the different ways God is able to use us if we're available to him for his kingdom. I think that would be one of the practical outworkings if we really, really pray this prayer Uh, and we do it earnestly that we wouldn't have a competitiveness or a bitterness or an envy or a jealousy but we would just say to one another, I'm so glad you're engaged (laughs) because there's so much work to do. There's so much hurt around us. There's so much struggle. And I'm glad you're praying the way Jesus taught us to pray. And I'm glad you've become available to serve him in whatever ways he's called you to do. When I thought about the ways God would use us over time in our labor if we're willing to join him. I learned recently, somebody gifted me a book, a local Christian ministry actually, uh, sent an appreciation gift to the church. And in it, it included this book called Man of Sorrows, King of Glory, What the Humiliation and Exaltation of Jesus Means for Us. And I wasn't familiar with the author, and I'd never seen the book, so a lot of times I'll peruse just sort of the beginning to see what the chapter headings are. I know a song named Man of Sorrows, and then I looked at the contents and realized, oh actually every chapter heading comes from the song Man of Sorrows, what a name, and so I was intrigued. And then I went very back to the end of the book um, to read the acknowledgments, because there's always a story about how a book comes together. And then I was totally astonished when I got to the acknowledgments at the very, very end. This is what the author says. One final note. The chapter headings come from Philip Bliss's hymn popularly known as Man of Sorrows. Bliss spent his early years working as a music teacher, but became an itinerant evangelist in his mid-30s on the advice of D.L. Moody. He wrote Man of Sorrows in 1875, shortly after this career change but Bliss would never see his 40th birthday. On December 29, 1876, a trestle bridge collapsed as the train carrying him and his wife passed over it. Most of the carriages disappeared into the snow-covered Ashtabula River Valley below. Bliss himself survived the fall, but was last seen heading back into the wreckage to rescue his wife from the flames neither body was ever found. I know little else about him. When I read that, I was like, I've, I've sung that song my whole life. I didn't know this story. And the Ashtabula River, where it happened, is only about an hour away from here, and I hadn't heard it. So then I wanted to know more about him, and I looked it up and realized um, that though he did not write the song, it is well with my soul. He wrote the tune that you and I all sing to It Is Well With My Soul. Horatio Spafford wrote the song, and oftentimes when we sing It Is Well With My Soul, the story is told about what happened to Horatio Spafford's family that caused him to write about the sea billows rolling. But it was Philip Bliss who actually wrote the tune that took the work of another person and made it accessible in a way that most of us can continue to sing it. And then I learned that Actually, at the site of the accident, they uncovered his luggage trunk, and it was there when they opened up his luggage trunk that they found the words to, I will sing of my Redeemer, which he had written the words, but he had never written the tune. And so somebody else, after he was gone, in honor of him, then put those words to song. And that's a song I sang my whole life growing up. And I had no idea the story behind it. But to me, there was this, again, amazing reality that in the brokenness of this world and in the tragedy of what he experienced at such a young age, he was able as a laborer to come alongside the work of another and help it spread far and wide. And then other people, after he was gone, were able to take his work and do the very same thing. That only happens in the kingdom of God. (laughs) Under the Lord, who is the Lord of the harvest over life and death, for whom death is no barrier. Doesn't that invite you to work for him, to pray earnestly to him, to say, God, use me in whatever way you're going to use me. Help me to come alongside others who are working and help me to trust with whatever work I don't get done. You will, because you can let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and its power. We thank you for the invitation of your son to come to you and earnestly implore you to send out more laborers, to help us to stop making any excuses about why we can't labor for you or why we can't make a difference for you but that we would just trust you that with every day you give us opportunities around us that we don't have to look far and wide we can usually just look at who's right around us and so father help us to to respond to the prompting of your spirit to send encouraging words to let people know we care for them to come alongside people in financial distress or whatever it is God God We thank you that you are willing and ready to use each and every one of us to work for you, to serve you, to see your kingdom grow until one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord. So Father, we pray that you would guide us, help us. We thank you for all the labor that's gone on before us those who loved us and raised us to be able to be here where we are and all the things that we've learned from them. We just receive it all as grace upon grace from you. And so we acknowledge that you alone are worthy for the praise and the glory, for all of your blessings, your good and perfect gifts. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.